Hello, everyone in podcast land. This is Dr. Chris Frickman, and this is the Vibrant Potential Show. Today, I'm excited to bring Todd Stebbleton to you in an interview where I go over how to get a razor-sharp mind and a super sexy body. Todd Stebbleton is a really good friend of mine, and he is also my go-to fitness expert. He has national certifications in clinical nutrition, many of them in personal training. He's a performance specialist and a corrective exercise specialist. He's the co-author of a manual for the largest international medically conducted lifestyle education platform, and he used to host an excellent health radio show. Todd has been featured in several magazines. Most recently, one of note was he was voted one of the top 100 people to know in the Minneapolis St. Paul magazine. He is currently the owner and lead health coach at Real Active Wellness in Minneapolis. Todd is an excellent teacher, and he's seriously a wealth of knowledge. So this is a ton of fun. We're going to go over how to get a razor-sharp mind and a super sexy body. And we're also going to go over some of Todd's methodologies when he goes through putting a program together for people. So you're going to come away with this with some new ideas about how to put together a program for yourself if you want to. And if you want a coach probably some great ideas about what to look for. So without further ado, here is Todd Stebbleton. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques, so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. Okay, guys, welcome. This is Dr. Chris Frickman with Todd Stebbleton, personal trainer extraordinaire and a very good friend of mine. Thank you so much for taking your time and doing this interview with me today, Todd. It's my pleasure to be on the phone with you, Dr. Chris. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to get right into it because we have a time frame today and I want to get through a few things. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, is I think you do a great job of delivering a really well-rounded fitness to people. So you're not just like the strength guy or just the endurance guy. I'm a huge fan of that. And I'm wondering if there are certain components of fitness that you consider when you're designing a new training plan for, say, a new client. Is there like, are there certain things that you that you think about for every person. Yeah, certainly. You know, my focus over the years has changed as I've grown and I've developed uh, in my profession. And, you know, working with people over the years has given me the opportunity to find out what I do well and what I don't do well. And I don't expect that that journey, so to speak, will ever change. But currently, where I'm at in terms of my ideas and philosophies when getting started with clients is pretty simple. People need to learn how to move and how to move better. So we talk about fitness and fitness is a part of exercise. We think of exercise and fitness as being the same thing, but really fitness is one part of exercise. Fitness is generally associated with things that have to do with what we'll re- what we will refer to as capacity, uh, which is generally identified numerically. So how fast can somebody run? How far can somebody run? How high can a person jump? How many reps can they do this much weight? How many rounds can they complete in a certain amount of minutes? These things are capacity or fitness oriented, ways in which we can measure somebody's fitness. However, 
preceding fitness is movement quality. We could call that competency of movement. So if people aren't moving really well, and you try to add more volume or more capacity, more weight, for example, what happens is that their compensations become rooted deeper into their nervous system. Uh, they begin to make more significant changes away from ideal. And as a result, they get hurt faster and their hurts or their injuries tend to become more significant. So while I'm all about pushing people hard and getting them to get more fit, I want to do it within the scope of moving better. There's different ways you can measure that. Uh, Gray Cook, for example, is a very world, very uh, well-recognized, world-renowned physical therapist who created the FMS screen or the functional movement screen and which uh, is one way in which we can identify and objectively measure uh, quality of movement. Of course, there's an infinite amount of ways to do that. But as a trainer, my job is to make sure that when people are exercising under my supervision, I am assessing their movement, I'm providing feedback in order to improve the quality of the movement regardless of the other parameters in terms of how much weight they're doing or how many reps and sets we're going for. It's about the quality of movement. And if I can improve the quality of movement, I know that I can do two things. Number one, I'll decrease risk of injury. And number two, if they move better, they're going to be more efficient. So if their goal is fitness, if it is capacity, if I can get them to move better, they're going to be able to do more. So for me right now, at least, that's what it's all about is getting people to move better. Interesting. How does mobility fit into that? Well, uh, mobility is critical, uh, just like stability is critical to perform optimal movement. So if somebody has limitations in the range of motion of their joints, they have to compensate somewhere else in their body, some other joint in order to do the movement. So for example, Let's say that you put somebody, you know, you give them the challenge of doing a body weight squat, just body weight, and uh, you have them squat down, stand up. They do that, say, 10 times, no problem. Say they have good fitness, they can do that, no problem. Now, you take that same person and you fixate their ankle. You put them in some sort of a cast, if you can imagine that. And you ask them to do that same squat, body weight, changing no resistance or anything like that, same parameters. If they were to squat up and down without their ankles moving, with restricted ankle mobility, their squat pattern will change significantly and it will change for the worse. Now, if they just do that 10 repetitions with body weight, no problem, no injury. It might not have been a pretty squat, but they can get through it. However, you start doing 10 sets of 10 and adding a jump squat to that or a squat jump or you start putting a bar on their back or have them hold some heavy kettlebells on the front side of their body. You start adding resistance, adding force to the movement. Now the compensations become much more identifiable and we're going to call that injury. So mobility is critical so that people can get into the right position to complete a proper movement, especially under load. If they're not under heavy load, these compensations are of no problem. Dr. Chris, it's like this. If you have a car and the alignment of your wheels are not quite right, but you just bum around town and you go 10, 15 miles per hour, you won't even notice it. It won't be a big deal. But you take that car out on the freeway and you go 80 miles an hour for an hour, Within that hour, your tires are going to be ripped to shreds. And all you did was change the intensity of the movement. The underlying problems in terms of the alignment, or in this example, mobility, just weren't identified at the slower speeds. But you push somebody hard, they better be moving well. Sure. And as a chiropractor, that is oftentimes what I'm going to see in the office when someone comes in with a physical issue, at least, is... You know, the in your analogy, the the tires have already been to some degree shredded, so to speak, and mm-hmm. um, there's been some kind of trauma, uh, maybe a repetitive micro trauma, and then it's it's 
somewhat up to me to try to figure out how to get this person back to where they can even start to, you know, train and and work with someone like you to to kind of repair those movement patterns. So I think people get it like the more load, whether it's speed or or weight or whatever, the more demands that you place on your body, the the little things are going to show up in a bigger way. But how can someone, say a, say a runner or a volleyball player or whatever, how is someone going to know, like let's say someone that doesn't have, I, I'm assuming most people listening aren't you know, they don't have like an athletic trainer. They're not on a team. They don't, uh, they don't have someone like watching them. Now, if there's someone, obviously, if they're coming to see you three times a week, then that answers this question. But so for everybody that, that is sort of like on their own, they're self-coached or, um, or they're just like not even coached at all. They're just randomly doing stuff. How can they know ahead of time if there's something that they need to w- look at, some kind of movement pattern thing, some kind of mobility limitation that's, that's uh, you know, it's potential for injury there? Well, that's a good question. And that's the challenge. If somebody does not have any sort of coaching, supervision, guidance, what, you know, whatever word we want to use for that, uh, how do they know? And we've all heard the saying that you can't manage what you don't measure. So they got to figure out a way to measure their movement. It can be objective, it can be subjective, but there's got to be something, right? So uh, really the question you're answer- that you're asking is how does somebody know if they're moving well? Well, first they need to identify what moving well looks like. What is the standard? What sort of things should you see consistently in a squat? What things should you see in a bend pattern, like a hip hinge? What things should you see in the lunge pattern? Push, pull, twist, all of these things. And if somebody doesn't have a coach, they don't have a coach and that's okay. Luckily today we have the internet and there's so much out there on video. Uh, I think that you can give yourself probably the best college degree just by spending your own time online. And it almost, it almost not, not certainly, but almost doesn't even matter what field that is. There's so much information out there. And of course, the ability to sift through what's good and what's not so good is, is a whole different topic. But, you know, if people want to increase their intensity or just for whatever reason, but it, ultimately, if they want to improve the quality of their movement, they got to figure out a way to, to measure it. And uh, that way they can manage it. And so... Finding somebody like you or I in the field, obviously, is the fast track. Uh, it's also going to be the more expensive track. But if efficiency is what people are looking for, that's where they that's where they go. Now, if they want to do something online, buy a buy a video online, a live stream, or uh, buy a DVD and have them sent to their house on the functional movement screen, or you know whatever the case might be. I mean, that's available to everyone these days as long as they have internet access. Gotcha. I hear my dog in the background, so sorry for that, people. So let me think of how to ask this. I mean, I think the the obvious thing is that it's best to have some kind of coach slash trainer or whatever we're calling it. Um, short of that, I'm wondering, like, do you have... Because here's the thing with the internet. There's some great stuff out there, and there's some crap out there. And if you're not someone that already knows what's great how do you know what's great versus what's crap one of my things that i recommend for people is that they find someone that they trust and then they somewhat stick with that person not that you know they have to take everything you know blindly or whatever but if you know that okay i trust this person so what they're saying i i believe it right now so let's assume that people listening trust me and they trust you. Do you have stuff available like me on a YouTube channel or your website or something like that where people can go and, and get some ideas about sort of like functional movements and what they need to be looking for and all that? Yeah, there are some resources that I like. I'm currently working on my own video series. However, that's not yet into a place that I can, you know, refer people to come look at. It's not finished yet. It's in production. But it's it's going to depend on what the person is looking for. So I like going to the source and I know that you're the same way. So if people want to learn, for example, about how to move properly and well with kettlebells 
Well, we know that Pavel Satsulin is that guy. Worldwide, he's the most respected uh, coach when it comes to strength development, primarily with the use of kettlebells. So he's got a really great series of DVDs. One of them, which is really meant for the newer people. Uh, it's not necessarily just an introduction to kettlebells. People that have been using kettlebells can for years can learn a lot from this DVD, but it's called Enter the Kettlebell. Enter the Kettlebell by Pavel Satsulin, and that's T-S-A-S-A-T-S. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's okay. Yeah. I, you know what I'll do is I'll put this in the show notes so people can uh, go to the show notes and then they can uh, they can click on links and stuff like that. I'll try to put links to these different things yeah. that I mentioned. So, you know, he, he has a DVD called Enter the Kettlebell, and it's not really so much about kettlebells as it is about how to move. You know, how do you teach someone how to do a swing is really teaching them how to do a bend pattern. That's a great video. A great cook has a lot of uh, more restorative therapeutic uh, DVDs and videos out there. Uh, so, for example, for people that want to work on shoulder mobility, uh, shoulder injury, shoulder stability, as a DVD called Secrets of the Shoulder, Secrets of the Hip, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. But I think, you know, the main thing is that if somebody were to email you, Dr. Chris, or me, and say, hey, look, I'm looking for a great resource on this topic, whatever that is, Olympic lifting, kettlebell training, uh, training for a marathon, we're going to respond with some recommendations, right? Uh, and so I think if people just find somebody to ask, look, I don't know where to turn, but this is what I'm interested in, what sort of books, DVDs, things of that nature – and, you know, we make we, we can provide them with a list of options for them to choose from. Right. Okay. So let's say someone wants to just have a razor sharp mind, a fully functional and super sexy body. What are the keys that they need to do every day or every week? And what's like the easiest way that they can get there with the least amount of time spent? And, you know, I mean... I'm assuming again, obviously one of the answers is like, yeah, like people can obviously come into your gym with, you know, you do great work there and stuff. But I mean, like for someone that just wants to really get the most bang for their buck with like, you know, a morning routine of their own uh, where they don't have to go to a gym or something like that. Is there, are there like certain things that you can recommend like that? Sure. So you're you're really just referring to exercise primarily? Well, that was sort of, I was wondering where you would like, I was wondering if you'd bring up diet and stuff like that. So, I mean, sort of I'm asking about exercise, but, you know, feel free to say whatever you need to say. Okay, got it. Well, I'll talk about exercise mostly then since that's more or less my specialty. But I will say if somebody wants a razor sharp mind and, a, you know, as you said, a, a sexy, very fit, strong body, if exercise is the only thing that they're focusing on, they're, they're not going to get there. However, it's a critical part. So as it comes to exercise or as it relates to exercise, I'll share this story with you because we got time for good stories and who doesn't like a good story? Perfect. So this is really about being efficient uh, and getting the most bang for your buck. And so the story goes like this. One day there is a guy walking through a field. I just envision like Germany or something like that. Just a huge open field. And uh, up ahead, he sees, you know, a, a group, uh, just a scattering of people, just a bunch of people up there. And as he gets closer and it starts to get a little bit more organized for him visually, he sees that there's a large group of men that are working. And more specifically, they're all digging. They all have their own spaded shovel and they're digging. And he draws closer yet and he can identify the leader of this group. There's a guy that's in charge. And so he goes up to the guy just out of curiosity and he says, what, what, uh, what's going on here? What are you guys doing? And uh, the guy responds, says, oh, you know, we're, we're digging a big canal. We're starting here and, you know, we're working in this direction. We're going to go out about six miles and, you know, it's a four-month project and so on and so forth. And, and he says, oh, okay. And he says, well, why don't you just bring in a couple bulldozers and a couple front-end loaders and you could just get the job done a whole lot faster? And the guy says, oh, well, you see – the economy that provides jobs and so on and so forth. And so he's making these very good, very rational justifications. 
And uh, so the guy thinks for a moment and he says, okay, well, if that's the case, why don't you just give them all a bunch of spoons then as opposed to a shovel? <laughs> so the, the moral of the story is this. Spoons can be very effective. Bulldozers and front end loaders can be very effective. It just depends what you want to do, how quickly you want to get the job done. So when it comes to exercise, you know, if people want to get the greatest bang for their buck, if they want to be efficient, they're going to want to work on large movement patterns, the ways, the, the ways in which the body was designed to move. So, for example, uh, let's say that somebody wants to quote unquote, you know, tone their butt or tone their glutes. You know, I just envision some of these fitness classes where the person gets down on all fours, like in yoga, we'd call that a tabletop position, right? They get down on all fours, they extend a leg back and they lift their leg up and down, you know, 275 times and they start to feel the burn and they do a couple hundred more. Hopefully and, they're using uh, their glutes and not their QL or something. Right. And so, and so they, you know, they, they do, you know, dozens or hundreds of repetitions and then they get done with that side. And uh, so now we'll go to the other side and we'll do that. Well, we can spend an hour or a half hour, uh, you know, doing these types of exercises, which I'll refer to as spoons. They have a very low return on their investment. You have to do a tremendous amount of them to see minimal progress or minimal results or you can teach that person how to move properly, throw a whole bunch of weight on them, have them squat down 10 times, you know, do that twice. And within five minutes, they would get way more. Out. That's the bulldozer. They get way more out of it. It's requiring them to use a tremendous amount of core. It's requiring them to use a tremendous amount of stability, uh, mobility through the ankle, knee and hip. It's a high skill exercise. And so when we look at the different parameters of movement, I like to choose exercises that require a lot of these parameters, or I'll refer to them as attributes. One attribute, for example, mobility. Another, stability, balance, flexibility, strength, strength endurance, cardiovascular endurance, skill. These are all examples of attributes of movement. Now you take somebody and you put them on a machine, like a bicep curl machine, where there's a fixed plane of motion. They get to sit down on a very stable surface. They get to lean back perhaps on a very stable surface. This requires no stability. It requires no mobility. It requires no flexibility. It requires no balance. Strength endurance, yes, if they do enough. Strength, sure, if they have a heavy of, of enough of a load. Cardiovascular endurance, no, not at all. Uh, so the, the uh, number of attributes required to do that exercise is very little. Now that exercise as a spoon may be important for somebody that is rehabbing some really beat up tissue and they really want to focus isolated movement or something like that, fine. But the overwhelming majority of people aren't trying to do that. They want to get a great workout that's going to give their body a high return on investment. And in doing so, they want to choose large exercises. So instead of a bicep curl, what if you took somebody that was a little bit more advanced and they're doing kettlebell snatches, for example? Sure, there's a lot of bicep work in there, but there's a lot of other things too. The amount of skill and balance and stability, explosiveness and power, flexibility, strength, strength endurance, cardiovascular endurance, all of these attributes go into an exercise such as a kettlebell snatch. Certainly there are other exercises. I'm just using that as an example. But choosing exercises that require a tremendous amount of attributes, exercises that require focus, require focus. If you're exercising for an entire hour and you can carry on a full-fledged conversation about something deep and meaningful, like a relationship in your life or something like that, okay, cool. That's a nice little like, kind of exercising in the background. It was like, uh, let's have a reason to get together so that we can talk. That's, That's what fine. I call physical activity, not, not exercise. Perfect. I like that. And if people, and that's, and that's absolutely okay, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if people are doing that 
primarily and expecting a high return on investment for their exercise, uh, they should look elsewhere. So choosing exercises that require a high demand, require you to think, require you to be present, those are the exercises that people choose. Okay, man. So let's just break it down a little bit here. If we could find, this is like, I want to give people a workout that they can do. So for this, for this little game I'm going to play with you, assume that people have whatever skill and mobility and whatever attributes necessary to perform these things. Obviously, that's a huge caveat, but just let's just say for, this, for the sake of this question, pretend that these people know everything they need to know. So I'll pretend that I'm training you. Okay. <laughs> you're, right? you're, you're a good mover. You don't have any restrictions. You're strong, stable, flexible, all that stuff. Okay, let's move on. Okay, perfect. So what is the one or two workouts? And by workout, I mean like, let's say you're going to pick, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you're going to pick, but let's pretend you pick the kettlebell snatch, the a barbell squat, and the 100 meter sprint or something. I, I have no idea, but let's just say you pick those things. I want you to either put one or two workouts together that people can do. And then I want you to tell me how often they need to do them. So is it do this one workout three days a week or six days a week or alternate workout A with workout B and do each one three days a week or whatever. But um, what are the what are the, what is that one or two workouts that people can repeat that are going to give them you know the eight like the eighty twenty rule like they're going to get like a huge amount of return for this like one or two workouts. Got it. This is a language that is commonly spoke in the fitness exercise industry that I just no longer subscribe to, to be honest with you. I don't think that there's a workout that people should do, but I know where you're going and I do have an answer for you. So if there, there's a million exercises out there, if we had to choose the top handful those that are going to have the greatest return on investment, what would they be? Let's start with that. And then we'll build the parameters around how often to do them and so on and so forth. So if I could just choose a handful of exercises without having these written down ahead of time, off the top of my head, these are the ones I'd choose. First and foremost, the deadlift. Picking up a heavy weight off the floor is something that people need to do. Uh, they need to be able to do. It's a primary hum uh, uh, human movement pattern. And it's what we do as humans. We pick stuff up and set stuff back down. Barbell, kettlebell, dumbbell. Sure. All the above. Okay. There's benefits to all of them. They're all slightly different. So just imagine a barbell because that's the most traditional one. And for good reason, uh, if you give somebody a really heavy barbell to pick up, there's not a muscle in their body that's not working, number one. Uh, everything from breathing muscles to grip strength, shoulder stability, core stability, you name it, the answer is yes, they're working it. And if it's heavy enough, they're going to be working it to a very high degree, which means you don't have to do a lot of reps, you don't have to do a ton of sets, and you get a massive return on your investment. So heavy deadlifting, again, this is assuming that people know how to move well, they're stable, they know how to breathe properly and all of those things that we already agreed upon. That would be one exercise. The amount of core, uh, you know, like Pavel and uh, some other people have done some studies using, you know, the electrodes that they hook up where they can measure your muscle activity in your core. And the deadlift and the kettlebell swing are the two exercises that are at the top of the charts for how much core activity is happening in these larger movement patterns. So the kettlebell swing would be number two. The swing is very similar to the deadlift in many ways. Uh, it's a hip hinge primarily. It's a full body exercise. It's a little bit different in the sense that it's more of an explosive exercise versus what we'll refer to as a grind with the deadlift. And a deadlift is a, is a grinding exercise. There's a consistent, constant amount of force or load. 
swing is different. There's times where there's a tremendous amount of load going through the body in a kettlebell swing. And there are times where there's very little load and force going through the body in a kettlebell swing. I think so of a deadlift as a strength move and a, and a kettlebell swing as a power move. Is that what you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And power is essentially strength plus, plus speed. So yeah, absolutely. Obviously, this question that I'm trying to like formulate for people, I'm just trying to give people something that people that, you know, maybe they're not working out at all. Maybe they want to get back into shape or maybe they're, you know, just a single sport athlete. Like maybe they're just a runner or something like that. And they know that they should like be doing something else. Obviously, whatever this question is, is you said that you don't ascribe to this. Clearly, this isn't going to be like the best thing that anyone could ever do because you'd want to vary things over over weeks and years, right? And and clearly that that you know this is not the prescription of how to become an Olympic bobsledder and also a world class duathlete or something like you know w- you want to specialize. There's so many things to talk about. I, I'm just trying to like make up this thing that like a lot of people could get a lot of bang for their buck out of. But so so. Can yeah, you, you like like a week's program design? I'll, I'll get to that. I yeah. got you. I'm with you. I'm so with here, you. I so just, here's another question. Can you I, obviously one way to to design a plan would be to macro kind of macro cycle things like this is this is your strength month. This is your power month. This is your muscular endurance month or whatever. Try not to get into that too much. Can people do? a grind or a strength move and a power move like the swing in the same workout session and get, can they build strength and power and any other attribute in the same session? Or do you need to have, in your opinion, do you need to have like, this is the strength session, this is the power session, you know, that kind of thing? That's a good question. I think that for 99% of the people, they can work on things like power and strength and mobility and flexibility all in the same session. These are these are general fitness principles. Now, as people become more specific, so now I'm talking about that other 1%, and they become more specialized. If they're a professional deadlifter, if that is their profession, then we have a much different level of specificity. Then we might break it down where one day or one month, we are really primarily just focused on this. But for the people who want to just get more fit, move better, less aches and pains, you can throw them all in the same session. In fact, you, you, you kind of have to. So once you, getting back to where we were really quick, Dr. Chris, yep. um, selecting a few exercises like the deadlift and there's a million ways to do deadlifts the kettlebell swing crawling crawling on the floor lots of different ways you can do that there aren't a lot of exercises outside of those three where you're going to get more return on your investment and more bang for your buck so are those the only exercises that you should do no uh, same with a squat that might be like number four so if we were to design a program the goal is to work towards getting better and improving capacity or fitness in those three or four movements so the days that we're doing heavy deadlifts that doesn't mean that we do heavy deadlifts the next day but maybe we do exercises that we know will improve the heavy deadlift next time maybe we work on hip mobility maybe we work on some form of other I don't know, other forms of hip extension like a kettlebell swing we could do on a different day great hip extension exercise so th- those those few exercises are really kind of the top of the umbrella so to speak and then all other exercises work underneath those to help support and improve the quality at which we're doing those exercises. So if somebody's going to build a week, maybe they have two days that they can really devote a good half hour, hour, two hours, whatever, whatever it is. And those are their big bang days uh, where they really focus on, you know, these large movements, the bulldozers and the front end loaders. The other days out of the week, say they have limited time, for example, they're doing more recovery pieces. They're working on just mobility or just stability or flexibility, whatever it might be. So the key is to find out what are those one or two days 
And you'd put them together like this. I'll go over that. And then what are the other fill-in days, the support days for those uh, primary days? So let's say you have uh, somebody that says, look, I can work out like four or five days a week. Uh, I'd say, okay, great. So we're going to build two days as your really like your real workhorse days, your heavy load. We're really challenging the nervous system of the body. And maybe day one, we're focusing on a bend pattern. So we're going to include deadlifts and kettlebell swings. The second day, we're going to be focusing more on uh, push-pull patterns. So for example, uh, we do things... Um, pulling like heavy rowing or upper body rowing or upper body pushing different forms of chest press. We do pull-ups on these days, things of that nature. Now, the other days we might do smaller movements. So we might do more corrective drills where we're working on mobility, or we might do specific drills where we're working on core strength, or we might do high skill exercises uh, where we're really teaching things like a kettlebell snatch, especially if they're newer to it. We're working on skill development more so than performance. And at the um, same time that you're developing skills, it's also a, it's an active recovery day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're still learning how to get better at movement, but the goal isn't necessarily capacity or load or volume. By load, I mean how much resistance and by volume, I mean like how many reps or how long is their body under tension for. So yeah, they can just be working on skill, which is very difficult, but it's not necessarily taxing their nervous system. It's not necessarily taxing the muscular system. Okay. What about if they want to like still be like, what if they want to work on, again, not being like a 28 minute 10K runner, but if they want to just be able to be, hey, I want to be able to go out and do a mountain hike or do a, do a 10K run or do a two hour bike ride, you know, not world class, but just like if my buddy calls up and says, hey, I want to do a two hour ride, I want to have enough endurance to go do a two hour ride and enjoy the weather and the sunshine and the, and the company. I want to be able to whatever, go water skiing on a, on a day. Like I want to, I want to have the, enough strength and endurance and, and all of these different, the, the components of fitness that we we're talking about to be able to live life. Like you were talking about at the beginning about competencies so that you can do fitness well, I think is how, I think that's the appropriate way to say it. It is. Um, what, what we're talking about, I'm, I'm hearing mostly about strength. What about the endurance side of things? Sure. So for endurance, I, I think what you're referring to is really more cardiovascular endurance as opposed to Probably. strength endurance. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a proponent of this, Chris, that, you can have strength endurance, but you must first have strength. That is the foundation of all of it. Now, you know me. Uh, I am not a huge muscle head, uh, but I can carry some strength with me. And that allows me to be able to endure for a longer period of time. I don't train two hours on my bicycle, but if you ask me to go for a two-hour ride, even though I don't practice that day in and day out, I could do it because I have those competencies to carry me through. Now, if somebody wants to go hiking for a couple of hours, do they need to have adequate cardiovascular endurance? Yes, they do. Or biking or whatever it is, running. Yes, we need to have that. But you must first demonstrate that you have the other core competencies. I believe that cardiovascular endurance is what we should work toward and what we should earn last as a consequence of doing all the other things well, which is co the complete opposite of how we approach fitness in our country. So let's say that somebody's overweight, they have an exercise and they wake up and it's New Year's Day and they said, I'm going to get in shape. What is the first thing that they do? Well, they start running. They start going into cardiovascular endurance. And usually after a couple of weeks, 90% of those people are done. They can't, their body cannot handle that stress. It is so hard on the body. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Running, swimming long distance, biking long distance, hiking long distance and for a large amount of time, these things are hard on the body. And if when the they're body done wrong. Is, yeah, of course, exactly. So let's say that somebody wants to go for a two hour hike, but they have limited ankle mobility. 
you know as well as I do that they're going to compensate every single step that they take. Maybe they turn their foot outward a little bit more, which puts more pressure on their arch. Maybe their knee caves in a little bit more to take uh, less strain off of their hip now, whatever the case might be. And they do that for two hours and they wonder why they're injured. Now, if this person is compensating and if they're dealing with an injury or if there's an injury right around the corner, that is going to govern their ability to improve cardiovascular fitness. One of my clients right now is a very high level runner and she is frustrated because she cannot improve her endurance, her time, her cardiovascular performance in these long runs. Why is that? Her cardiovascular endurance right now is being governed by the compensation patterns that she makes when she runs. She lacks mobility in her hips. And as a result, it's governing her capacity. So we talked earlier about competency, the ability to move well, and capacity, how long and how much. Your competency of your movement governs the capacity of your movement. You can only go so far so long until the weak link holds you back. And those weak links are going to be found in the areas of either mobility or flexibility or stability or strength or power or strength endurance or balance. If people struggle in any one of those areas, their capacity is going to be compromised. So, Yes, get out there. If you like the capacity side of things, if you like endurance, cardiovascular endurance, I'm a big fan of that. Most people get broken down faster, though, because they lack the other attributes. Now, that does not mean that cardiovascular endurance is a bad thing. Running a marathon doesn't have to be a bad thing. Every runner doesn't need to have IT band syndrome and beat up hips and a rigid spine and and uh, four rounded shoulders and think they don't need to have that if they just continue to work on the other attributes. So I hope that that makes sense. That it, it's it does a make some sense. <laughs> I I think you know this about me. I love this kind of sort of almost philosophizing. I mean, it's. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but it's it's interesting because uh, I've had other people on the podcast that talk about, oh, now, now, you don't have to do any strength stuff or power stuff, like, or if you do, that's like, maybe like, you know, very, very, you know, maybe for like one month out of the year or something like that at the most. The rest of the time, you should really just be like running really slow all the time, you know, <laughs> and like... So it's, and, and I don't, and I'm talking about world-class trainers. <laughs> I mean, I'm paraphrasing when I, when I just said that, but you are, I can't think of any trainer. I know a lot of trainers. You know, I'm a chiropractor. I'm, I'm a triathlon coach. I'm a very active person, you know, myself. And I have met uh, hundreds at least of trainers and um, you are, probably the best trainer I know. I mean, there's different people have different strengths and, you know, pros and cons and everything. And, and I know some really good trainers, but you're definitely way up there. So, but it's just funny to hear how this, that's a very, pol your, your philosophy, so to speak, is very polarized. I know that it works and I know that other things work too. So, it's just interesting to to hear about this stuff. I can't argue with other philosophies, other theories. I can't say that they're right or wrong. Uh, here's what I can say. If all we focus on is putting a bigger engine in a car and we don't upgrade the suspension and we don't upgrade the tires and we don't make sure that all the other parts are moving right, putting a bigger engine in a car is going to break down the other parts faster period. That's just the way it is. I'm a fan of a bigger engine. I just think that before you double the size of your engine, you better have the suspension that can handle it. You better have the chassis that can withstand it. Because what happens for me, most of my clients look like this, Dr. Chris. Most of my clients are pretty high level people or they have a pretty significant injury. 
when people come to see me, my job is simple. I'm going to be successful or not based on how quickly I can improve the quality of their life. And for some people, that means taking them, helping to take them out of pain. Maybe I work in conjunction with somebody like you, right? We share some clients or patients in that regard. For other people, it's I'm a professional athlete and I'm up for a re-signing on my contract next year. This needs to be an amazing year for me. So bottom line is this, I need to do what works. I don't care about subscribing to a theory or a principle. I just need to figure out what works. How do I improve performance? How do I decrease and take away injuries? And if I can do that, we can call it whatever theory and you know whatever sort of philosophy we want. If it works, it works. And in my experience so far, getting people to move better where they have less compensations will improve every aspect of their fitness. It improves their capacity. If I can take away someone's knee pain who runs, guess what? They're going to be able to run faster. They're going to be able to run longer. And I didn't take away pain necessarily in the same way that you do. What I found is that they have a really tight hip flexor, which is causing a lot of internal rotation in their femur. And every time they plant down, their knee juts inward, their arch and their foot caves, and over time it causes pain. I need to change the suspension parts in that car because their engine right now is too big for the parts. So either I make their engine smaller and I say run less or run slower and nobody wants to hear that, especially at a, at a very high level, or I say, look, we need to improve your suspension parts. And here's how we do that. And that's essentially my job. So I don't know what we call that philosophy or what that theory, but we need to make sure that their body can handle the stress that they're putting on it. And that's essentially all I do. I don't know how we categorize that. I don't know what we call that. If we wrote a book, I'm not sure what we would title it. But I just think that competency of movement always needs to precede capacity. If not, we're going to break down faster than we hope. And when we break down, now we can start having the, the discussion with some of these other trainers. Says, oh, no, you just need to do this and go hard. Fine. What do you do with your client who breaks down if that's all that you do? What do you do with them? You know what you do? Either you lose them as the client. You, you throw them away they, usually. Yeah, yeah. Or what happens more often than not is they come see you or they come see me and we start looking at this person and their movement from a little bit more of a holistic perspective. And it's as simple as that. Awesome, man. Okay, so I know we're coming up on time here. So um, give, me the, give me the week. Give me the week workout. Okay, so let's say it's four days. Day one would look like this. And you're fit and everything, you move well, all that stuff. We're going to have a really hard strength day at least once a week, real heavy. So here we're talking about three to five repetitions, a high neurologic load. And we're going to do six, seven, eight, rep, uh, eight sets of that. Of course, depending on one's capability. And we're going to focus on one exercise. And that's going to be our workout. If you're lifting heavy enough that you can only lift something three times, Truly, you can only lift it three times. Don't expect to rest for less than five minutes. You're going to need adequate rest. Your nervous system is shot. During that time, we're going to be doing skills and drills to make you better for your next set. Maybe we do some hip mobility work. Maybe we do some spine mobility work. But our first day is going to be built around one exercise really heavy. All the other exercises that we do are filling in to improve that exercise. I know you don't so, want to answer me, but what's that exercise? <laughs> I know you want to like alter deadlift. it every week, but deadlift, the deadlift. Okay. We're going to deadlift heavy once a week. Now, next week we might do a little bit different deadlift. We might have a wider stance and a narrower grip. That's fine. You can make variations in that way, but the very, but the consistency is we're going to do that heavy deadlift once a week. And we'll do that for a handful of months, perhaps. Okay, so that's our first really intense day. Our second really intense day is going to be a different exercise. And let's say this particular week, we're going to be focusing on a push. So that's going to be an overhead press with two kettlebells, a double kettlebell press. Now, overhead now let, press. Me, let me make sure I'm clear. So day two, are we saying this is like day two, the day after the heavy deadlift? 
No, so this is going to be about three or four days after. So in the course of a seven day week, maybe day one and day four are going to be your really heavy days. You know, the days that are re are going to require substantial recovery because you're pushing it hard. Got it. So this is the fourth day of the week or your, your second hard workout. So with the overhead press, we're going to start out with some shoulder mobility and some spine mobility, maybe a little bit of skill work. And then say we're going to do six sets of six. Again, we're going to keep the reps pretty low, or maybe we're going to do six sets of four, something like that. And we're just focusing on the overhead kettlebell press. Now in that, you have to be able to do a good kettlebell clean with two kettlebells. So we're going to be working on that as well. But the primary focus, the theme of the workout is to press as heavy of a weight as we can, say four or five or six times repetitions. And we're going to do that four or five or six sets throughout the course of that hour. Every other exercise that we do in that hour is to improve the quality of which they do that. So in between sets, we work on their quality of their clean because the quality of the kettlebell clean dictates the success of their overhead press. If we go heavy, maybe we're working on shoulder mobility in between sets. We're working on spine mobility. We're talking about breathing patterns. We're breathing for recovery. Then we're working on breathing for strength. How do you do that? How do you create optimal tension from the inside of your body out? So we're working and developing how we're training the body to learn how to get strong in between our tests. And the test is, can you press this weight three times or four times in this set? So we're just constantly preparing. So those are going to be those two days, very high level of focus, very heavy. Everything that we do on those two days is directed towards one goal. And that first day, the goal is heavy deadlift. And the second day, that goal is heavy overhead double kettlebell press. Now, the other three days out of the week, we want to be working on other attributes. So maybe our focus is more on cardiovascular endurance. Maybe we do sprint intervals one day. So we get out on the track, we do 200 or 400 meter sprints, and we're going to do 10 of them. Uh, so let's say that, um, okay, well, if we're going to go in order that way. So day one was a heavy deadlift. Day two, the body's going to be tired. We're not going to do sprints on that day. Lower body's going to be fatigued. Nervous system's going to be fatigued. They're going to be stiff. So day two, now we're going to work on flexibility and mobility. We're going to have a good 30 to 60 minute session on improving range of motion. So we're doing some muscle work. Maybe we're going to release some adhesions, maybe some foam roller stuff. Everyone's familiar with that. Uh, maybe we're doing some spine and hip uh, mobility. Uh, with different exercises. I'm a big fan of Eldoa. I know that most of the listeners are probably not familiar with that term yet. 10 years from now, people are going to know this concept of Eldoa, which is really on fascial mobility, E-L-D-O-A. You can start to research that online, perhaps. I um, love Eldoa. Yes. Uh, so that might be day two. It's kind of a recovery. It's a tissue recovery day, right? After those heavy deadlifts. Now day three comes along. The day before the heavy shoulder uh, presses, two days after the heavy deadlifts, now we get out on the track. Let's run some 400s, let's run some 200s, you know, 80, 85% capacity each uh, uh, each set, and maybe we do 10 sets of those. Nice really? Stretching. So you, so not at 100% though? Well, if, if they're going to have relatively low rest periods, like a one-minute rest interval, and they do, yeah, it's, I want them to last. It depends. It depends on the person, Chris. You okay, know, what so are they more, a little bit more like muscular endurance kind of a workout versus like a strict power. Like, like we're not going for 70 meters, 101%, like, and then rest for five or six minutes in between. Yes, you can do that if you want to rest for five to six minutes in between. If your day is about speed and power. But you know, I was thinking more about cardiovascular endurance, threshold training, things of that nature. I'm just okay. So, just what are the reps that. like? Tell me, tell me what it looks like because you're designing right. this week. So, yeah. So let's say let's say that they do a 400 meter sprint, uh, and depending on the person, maybe we're shooting for about 120, uh, not 100, a uh, minute 20. Uh, so you know we're looking at about 80 seconds, uh, something like that. So that's, okay, but uh, that's at that's at like 80 to 85 percent of their max. So like if if my current you know if I warmed up and then I sprinted actually like did a 400 
as fast as I could. I don't even, I actually haven't done that in so long. I don't know, but let's say my best time is 63 seconds or something like that. Then maybe I'm shooting for a minute 20, like an 80 second 400 here. Does that sound about right? Perfect. I love that idea. And then maybe we have to manipulate as, as we go, but that's the idea. Can you complete this in 80 seconds? And then you have a one minute rest interval. And can you do that eight times in a row or 10 times, uh, you know, just back and forth doing those intervals? Great uh, cardiovascular endurance exercise, you know, using that type of an interval system. That's one example of many, of course. Uh, if the person wants to be a little bit more explosive, maybe we decrease the distance, we increase the recovery period and we do it that way. So maybe we do a 200 meter sprint, 100% effort, four minute rest period in between Which each might- one. If we do that, then that may affect uh, the next day too, (laughs) the overhead press. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to take all those things into consideration. Okay. Awesome. And Uh, then what's day five? So uh, day five, that means that day four, what we did is we did some really heavy overhead pressing. So there's lots of compression on the spine, lots of load really going through the whole body. The, uh, the stabilizers of the spine are going to be tired. The shoulder stabilizers are going to be tired. So we're not going to challenge those things too much. Uh, so maybe what we work on on this day is going to be more skill work, more skill development where we're not really focused on capacity. Maybe we're training skill of the squat, teaching people how to squat better. So we're not using a lot of weight, but we're teaching a lot about how to create tension throughout you know, the torso as you pull yourself down into the squat squat. We talk about those kinds of different things. Um, So maybe that's a skill set day where we choose an exercise or two and we work on the development of the skill for those exercises. Now, here's the cool part, Chris. Clients don't necessarily know this stuff. They certainly don't need to know of it. When they come in, they come in for a workout. They don't know that we're lifting really heavy today, doing high load, and then tomorrow's going to be mobility because it's all hard and it all takes focus and it all takes effort. But how the body responds, that's really going to be my job in managing that. The client's job is going to be just do your absolute best. You know, here are the parameters of the day. Here's what we're focusing on. Do your best. I'm going to set you up for success as well as I can. And I want you to achieve success every time, barely, barely. That's the idea. We got two more days in the week. Are we we resting on those? Are we like just not doing anything? Are we, are we? uh... Yeah, let's take a rest day. And that rest day could just mean, you know what? Mentally, I don't want to think about anything that has to do with movement or exercise. I'm going to do nothing. Now they might end up walking their dog or going to the mall with friends or going to the state fair and walking around. That's fine. Uh, And then another day is maybe a, a rest day, but it's more participatory, so to speak. It's purposeful. Maybe that day we work on, we take a yoga class or we work on breathing mechanics and restorative exercises. So let's say that somebody knows that they have a relatively rigid spine, not a lot of structure. We're just going to work on some spine. That person can just work on spine mobilizations. They definitely don't necessarily need to have a real structured program with that. Just loosen up, but have some purpose behind it. That would probably be the seventh day. Okay, that is plenty plenty for difficulty. Um, I am going to put this in the show notes. I know that you... (laughs) I know it was kind of hard for you to come up with this. And, and obviously, I think anybody listening can can hear that it's not like there's any one like, you know, perfect exercise uh, regimen or something like that. But I just wanted to, uh, I think you do great work, Todd. And I wanted to just give people something that, that they could do at home. So here's my next question. Can we, can you and I get together, Todd, and, and this might take... I don't know. Maybe we can do it all in one session if if I if we don't really do the workout or maybe maybe it takes a few sessions or something but could we do some kind of a video where you you walk me through how to do these things so that I can post those on the show notes and then people can see examples of how do you do these things cuz like I said it's a huge caveat that we assumed people knew what they were doing so can we give them some guidance on on how to do it? 
Absolutely. You know, and the guidance can be as general or as specific as, as we want it to be. We can take this week's workout that we just kind of put together here over the phone. We can do that throughout the course of a half hour or an hour through video, uh, write it up on chalkboards or whiteboards or whatever. So people have a visual reference for what that looks like and they can follow along. Absolutely. Awesome. And then, awesome. And then, after, and then after that, Dr. Chris, it's plug and play. You plug and play, you choose different exercises based on what the person wants to work on, what they need to work on, things of that nature, and you just go from there, make it simple. Very cool. Well, I have I have enough questions in my head here to do about two more hours. And uh, we were shooting for 45 minutes and we're already at an hour. So I need to have you back on the show, man. I guess we're going to have to do that. Okay, perfect. And I'm happy to. I'm happy to. You're doing great work and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be a part of this. Okay. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon, Todd. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting-edge content, including nutrition and detoxification advice, unique fitness videos, and more. 